You may be seated. And when you are, please uh, open your copies of God's Word to Romans uh, chapter 13. We're actually going to start reading a little bit uh, before that today, but our sermon text is Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. But what I'd like to do is um, start a little bit earlier than that. I'd like to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 14, and then we'll read on through. And the reason I want to do that is to give you uh, the context, of course, keep that in your mind, and also because the last time we reflected on Romans 13, you might remember that the last, it was about loving the Lord, loving uh, those of your believing, the believing uh, people around you, and even loving your enemies, and God told us uh, that we are not to uh, take vengeance on our enemies, that we are to leave vengeance to him. And part of the way that he brings justice is through the government that he has set up or the governments that he has set up over time and all throughout the world. And so you'll see even uh, the flow of thought as it moves forward. With that introduction, Romans, we're gonna begin at chapter 12, verse 14. I'd remind you that this is God's holy and inspired word. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment." For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do what is wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Let's come to him in prayer and ask for his help. O oh Lord, certainly we do need your help. 
Lord, it is work. As you know, it is work to pay attention. Uh, It is work to control these wandering minds and wandering hearts of ours. Lord, we do pray that you would help us to think upon your word, uh, to hear the word preached, and uh, to consider what you would have us do, what you are telling us. Lord, so we pray that you would search our hearts, that you would search our minds, you would search our lives, that you would apply your word to us, that you would help us, help us to grow, that we would be Christ-like. It's in his name we pray, amen. I want to start by asking you to imagine a playful scenario. You're driving along, perhaps with a convoy, a, a convoy of tiny uh, tots in tow, and suddenly those flashing red and blue lights, you see them in your rearview mirror, and instantly panic sets in, and you glance at the passengers in the back, and their innocent eyes widen. And as the officer approaches, you do uh, your best to give him the impression that you're a law-abiding citizen, but internally, you're assessing whether you should open the door and, and make a run for it. Now, while this might be the, the opening of a, of a light, delightful family comedy, it, it's also subtly reflective of our instinctions, our instinctive reactions to authority. We we often find ourselves negotiating, calculating, and occasionally contemplating a quick exit when confronted by those who enforce the rules. Yet the Apostle Paul in this passage serves us a spiritual traffic signal. He urges us to halt at the commanding of governing authorities. And far from a mere traffic stop, Paul contends that submitting to earthly authority isn't just a legal formality. It's a divine imperative. It's a divine command. He insists that Christians buckle up, follow the signs, and yield to the established order of governing authorities. You can see that from the very opening verses, the very two first verses, in fact. And this this leaves us with questions. A lot of questions. Questions, I hope, to begin to answer in the first point. The institution of civil government the institution of civil government. We need to, and it would be helpful to, keep several things in mind as we consider this passage. For instance, we need to remember that the book of Romans was likely written by the Apostle Paul in the mid to late 50s AD during his third missionary journey. As for the historical context, the political situation in Rome during this period was explosive for the early Christian community. I say that to warn you, not to say uh, to yourself, but you don't understand uh, our context and our culture. Uh, Understand that the people that Paul is writing to are in a very, very difficult situation. At the time of writing, Emperor Nero was in power. Nero's early reign was marked by relative stability, but as time progressed, his behavior became increasingly erratic and 
de, uh, despotic. He, he became um, someone who wanted to enforce his will, a dictator, a maniacal one. So the political climate with an unpredictable and at times hostile emperor created a challenging environment for the early Christian community in Rome. We also need to keep in mind that this text won't answer all of our questions about the state. It's only, it's only seven verses. It gives us some truths that are important. It helps us to discern right from wrong. But it doesn't directly say what we should do when our government departs from the role God has given it. It doesn't explain how we should respond when our government is committing a moral wrong. And we're not told what to do if there's a revolution. So how should citizens of heaven live as citizens on earth? In verse one, Paul writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. The Bible includes everyone in this command, doesn't it? Uh, Christians and non-Christians. It says that every person should be subject to governing authorities. When Paul mentions governing authorities, the term encompasses a wide spectrum of representatives of state authority. It applies to various levels of government, ranging from local authorities to the highest levels of government. And you'll notice that verse 1 says that the authority of civil government comes from God. Earthly authorities are of divine origin. Earthly authorities are of divine origin. This means that the, that the existence and appointment of governing authorities are not merely a result of human ingenuity or chance, but are part of God's sovereign plan for the order of human societies. In fact, our text says that the government that exists has been instituted by God. Other portions of Scripture support this idea. For instance, Psalm, 50, Psalm 75, verse 7, it declares this about leaders, about those who are in charge over us. But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. This affirms the role as the ultimate authority, God as the ultimate authority of who rises and falls as rulers. Daniel 2.21 echoes the sentiment stating he changes, that is, God changes the seasons. He removes kings and he sets up kings. God is in control over the establishment and removal of political leaders. It's important to recognize, to understand. And the instruction we receive in this passage is to be subject to governing authorities. We're called to be good citizens, great citizens. 
This goes beyond mere obedience. It carries a deeper implication of acknowledging and accepting the God-ordained order of this world. It implies a voluntary submission, recognizing the authority as established by God. And you can see this conclusion in verse 2. Paul writes, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Resisting governmental authority is resisting God. Now, on its own, without considering other scriptures, this statement might be understood as promoting blind devotion to the government, regardless of what it commands. But if you consider parallel passages, you see that Christian obedience to the state is always conditional. In fact, sometimes disobedience is your duty. Classic uh, example of this is found in Acts 4 and 5. Do you remember the disciples are preaching in the temple? And they're brought in uh, to speak to the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was uh, one of the authorities of the time. And what happens when they are brought in? They're told to stop preaching about Jesus. And what do the disciples do? They go back out into the temple and they begin to preach again. And what happens? Then they are arrested and they're brought back before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin tell them, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. And what is Peter and the apostles, what do they answer? They said, we must obey God rather than man. The command of God always, always takes precedent over the command of government. There are no exceptions to that. Christian, you must disobey the government if it asks you to violate a command of God, commit an immoral or unethical act, or to go against your conscience. Let me say that again. You must disobey the government if it asks you to violate a command of God, commit an immoral or unethical act, or to go against your conscience. The opening two verses of our text emphasize obedience. They encourage you to submit to the government, recognizing its divine authority. You see, the aim is to be a model citizen with the correct understanding and attitude. And yet your first obligation is to God. And this commitment may result in either obeying or disobeying the state depending on the circumstances. In line with this, our text emphasizes the divine origin of governments and highlights their moral responsibilities. We'll explore that further in our second heading, the responsibility of civil government. The responsibility of civil government. Now, 
the state requires us to register our cars every year. But in some states, your car registration is contingent upon whether or not your car passes a health inspection, what they might call a smog inspection. Some states want to make sure that your car is running well enough that uh, it's not polluting the atmosphere unnecessarily. But when you're poor or maybe uh, you're irresponsible and have an old car, that can be a problem. Not only that you have the cost of the registration, but you have the cost of the inspection. And if your car fails the inspection, they withhold your registration until you can get it repaired. So now you have the car repair cost to deal with as well. Of course, the police are aware of this, so there's a grace period once your uh, tags are uh, expired. Um, And then once that grace period is over, they start handing out tickets. If you've ever been uh, one of these people who is... uh, unable or for whatever reason didn't get your car registered in time and a police officer comes behind you you know what happens hands on two and ten you're looking in the review mirror your blood pressure goes up your anxiety is going up you start to sweat right you start to sweat and you say please don't pull me over please don't pull me over please don't pull me over right you don't need a ticket it's the last thing you need is another bill And you feel pressure, anxiety in that situation because you know that police have the authority to issue you a ticket. When you do something illegal, you pay the price. And we see that in our text, don't we? Consider verse 3. Paul writes, For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. If you want to be free from fear of authorities, then you should be a person who does what is right or who does what is good. Of course, this is the way it's supposed to work. Paul's describing how officials are supposed to rule. But we're all familiar with tragic events where authorities have misused their power, resulting in the punishment and death and oppression of innocent civilians. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Civil authorities are supposed to be God's servants for your good. The government's role is summed up in the title it's given in verse 4, God's servant. The word servant in our English Bibles is translated from the Greek word diakonos. You know this word, deacon. We're familiar with this term. This term is rooted in the concept of service or ministry. In this context, it signifies that the civil magistrate or governing authority is God's appointed servant to act on behalf of the people for their good. 
The term implies a responsibility to serve the citizens. This is good to remember in the middle of an election year, isn't it? It implies responsibility to uphold justice, maintain order, and promote the well-being of the people. The civil government has a servant-like role. They're not just a position of authority. They have a duty to fulfill for the benefit of the people. And the notion that the civil magistrate is the servant of God indicates that they are accountable to God. The responsibilities entrusted to them carry a divine mandate. And we see that in scriptures, right? God holds nations responsible for their actions. Governments are answerable to God for the way they exercise authority. There's a moral and ethical aspect to governance. And there's a divine expectation that governing authorities will act for the well-being and justice of the people they serve. You'll notice that at the end of verse 4, Paul writes about the justice they dispense. He, that is the government, is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The government has the right and the responsibility to punish those who violate the law. The civil authorities are entrusted with the responsibility of executing justice and maintaining order. They serve as an instrument of God's justice on a societal level. They become a tool for God's wrath against wrongdoing. It's God's way of dealing with evil through justice dispensed by the state. We should be thankful that it doesn't bear the sword in vain, even though it bears it imperfectly. And Paul reminds us in verse 3 that if we have good conduct, we have nothing to fear. Similarly, if you pay your bills on time, you have nothing to fear from the debt collector. But if you don't pay your bills, you'll find yourself anxiously screening your phone calls and maybe with some consequences from those unpaid bills. So far, we've seen that we're called to obey government, and we've seen that government is meant to serve us for our good. In verses 5 through 7, Paul talks about the type of obedience we're supposed to follow in our duty to civil government. That's our third heading, our duty to civil government. Several years ago, I decided to finally tackle one of those home projects Uh, The home project was two flower beds in the front yard of my house. The idea was uh, that I wanted to get some of that uh, weed blocking fabric and lay that down, clear things out, lay that down, plant some some plants and flowers and so forth, and then fill the flower beds with these beautiful river rocks. 
So I went to Home Depot and I uh, gathered all of the things that I needed and I put them in into multiple carts and I made my way to the front and I uh, paid the bill, but I, I, I noticed something uh, was wrong with the bill. But, but since it seemed lower than it should have been, I uh, got my receipt and I gathered my things and I uh, made my way home. And once I got home, I took a look at the receipt and indeed there was a mistake. In fact, it was a big mistake. They charged me for one bag instead of like 12 to 15 bags of these rocks. I mean, it was off. Uh, I owed them still hundreds. I walked away with hundreds of dollars in extra rocks. And then temptation came crouching at my door. All the reasons I should just keep the rocks, right? I don't want to get the cashier in trouble. It's their mistake. But I can't do that, right? I can't do that. I'm a Christian. That's a violation of the Eighth Commandment, obviously. Stealing. What about my Lord? I'm supposed to do what's morally right. And I have a conscience anyway that's burdened and it's speaking to me. An inner sense of what's right and wrong that serves as a moral guide. And it was telling me that I needed to go back and explain what had happened and pay for the rest of the rocks. Well, as our text continues, Paul says that it's the duty of Christians to submit to governing authorities for the sake of a clear conscience. Consider verse 5. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You're to be in subjection, not just because you're afraid of being punished, but because you understand that the state is divinely instituted. And you understand that rulers, whether they know it or not, whether they act like it or not, serve as ministers of God. Believer, God has given you the scriptures. He's given you the scriptures so that you would have a deeper understanding of the world that you live in. And because of that, you're able to see the big picture The word of God shapes and molds our consciences so that they are instructed by his word and and then can therefore instruct us. And that enables you to yield to authority with a clear conscience. How does this work out practically? What does it look like in practice? Verse 6 and 7 begin to tell us, For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. As you might imagine, Nero's taxes were very unpopular. 
But, but Paul, he, he tells Christians they shouldn't get tangled up in the backlash of not paying them. And unlike Christians in those days, God has given you the right to protest injustice and to correct abuse where possible. But the Bible says to pay the taxes that you owe. Verse 7, Paul states generally, pay to all what is owed to them. But then he gets more specific. Taxes to whom taxes are owed and revenue to whom revenue is owed. He's referring both to direct and indirect taxes. And you'll remember the words of the Lord Jesus in Mark 17 when he was asked if we should pay taxes. What did he say? He said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. With a single sentence, Jesus established the validity of human government while at the same time setting its limits. He says the coin bears Caesar's name. Give it to him. You bear God's image. Give your life to God. But biblical submission to authority isn't just about money or outward compliance. It's also about the heart, and often that can be seen in our attitude or the things we say, our speech. You'll notice that verse 7 says, pay to all what is owed to them, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We're to fulfill our duty to the governing authorities with a good attitude, with respect and honor. You might deplore the politics or actions of a particular person holding a political office. You might be repelled by their scandalous conduct. But that does not give you the right to respect the office itself. The call to pay respect and honor to those in authority transcends personal opinions about individuals. Respecting the office acknowledges that there is divine order. It recognizes that ultimately all governing authorities are part of God's sovereign plan. It reflects a broader understanding that your respect isn't merely for the person in power at a given time, but for the structure and order established by God. (laughs) These things can be very difficult. This text places us at the crossroads of a divine imperative and human frailty sinfulness. And the Apostle Paul, under divine inspiration, insists that you submit yourself to governing authorities. The very fabric of our social order, Paul argues, is woven into the divine tapestry, and disobedience is nothing short of rebelling against God's instituted order. Yet as humans, we stumble and fall short of God's standard. 
but we find rest in the life of Jesus. He descended from heaven and subjected himself to earthly authority for your redemption. The gospel narrative unveils a savior who despite his innocence endured abuse and mistreatment at the hands of the governing authorities. Jesus, the epitome of submission to divine order, bore the weight of your sins under the cruel yoke of a Roman cross. Through him, through faith, your sins are forgiven. As you seek to submit to authority, remember our Savior's example. In the face of political turbulence and imperfect rulers, your ultimate allegiance is to the one who submitted to the cross for your sake. Make your heart, may your heart be stirred with gratitude and your conduct reflect the humility and obedience exemplified by Jesus, your Savior and your King. Amen. Lord, we need help with this one. Lord, you know we are in an election year and you know how our government is set up. You know our constitution. You know the ways in which we've done good things and the ways in which we have failed. And Lord, you know our political system that we're not given much choice, at least oftentimes. Lord, we do ask that you would have mercy on this nation. Lord, we pray that you would raise up thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of men and women who believe and follow you as their King and Savior. Lord, we'd ask that you would do a heart change and in this nation and that our leaders would then be reflective of who we are. Lord, we'd ask that you would help us, that you would rescue us, that you would give us the kind of leaders that your word would have honorable ones, ones that suppress evil and violence, help the poor, support the good. And Lord, do a work in our hearts. Help us. Help us that we would be submissive and that we would have a good attitude, that we would have an eternal perspective, knowing that it is you who has set up government all throughout this world to restrain evil. Lord, we thank you for that. We'd ask that you would hear our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.